0: get a three up and off. Rebound to Hurley for UConn. And how fitting. The coach's son is going to dribble out his dad's championship. 76-59. Every dog has his day. And this day belongs to the Huskies. UConn has its fifth national championship in school history.
1: Hey guys, and welcome back in to the WFNZ March Madness Show. I am your host, Josh Marlowe. Alongside of me has been my co-host all tournament long. He is Anthony Pagnatta. You know us better, though, as Fitty and Flounder. We're coming to you the day after the national championship game was played and a champion was crowned as UConn did emerge victorious as the 2023 national champion. We're here to recap the Final Four and break down the championship game uh, between UConn and San Diego State last night in Houston. And, buddy, we're, we're going to go back to Saturday, Final Four Saturday. It's arguably my favorite my, my favorite sports Saturday of the year because I love college basketball. I love I love the Final Four and what it represents. You wait around all day to, to wait for uh, the two games on the biggest stage in the game of basketball. And, you know, we, we talked about it going into the Final Four last week. Because of the first matchup, there wasn't a whole lot of interest nationally for the Final Four. But we, we we were both confident that it was going to be a good game between San Diego State and FAU and a good Final Four Saturday overall. And while the first game certainly delivered, the the, the, the second game maybe didn't because UConn did what they did to every opponent in the tournament, which was just, you know, overwhelm them and, and run Miami out of the gym. But, you know, you go you go back and you look at what happened between FAU and San Diego State. And I I just came away from it still saying that this is still good for the sport. Seeing these types of teams play on the biggest stage in the game is still a good thing. Like, yes, we want the Carolinas, the Dukes, the Kansas, the Kentuckys in the Final Four. But what other sport offers the little guy a chance? Maybe college baseball, with you know, you you had Coastal Carolina winning the championship a few
0: years ago. It doesn't happen in the women's game. Probably the well, it's it's happening to a, a more of an extent now. But the lowest seed to ever win the women's tournament is still a three.
1: Yeah. So it doesn't happen in the women's game. No. It doesn't happen in college softball. It's not going to happen with football, with college football playoff expansion. So maybe college baseball is the only other sport with an outlier.
0: And you can lose and still compete for a championship. It, exactly.
1: In and so I, I came away from watching those two teams play, and it was a great game. It was the type of game we all expected it to be, and and it delivered, and you got a dramatic finish. You got a buzzer beater. I just came away from, from that from that matchup and with San Diego State Emerging saying, college basketball still won today. The, the sport still won because you had a real Cinderella in FAU and then a program that was getting over the hump in San Diego State. Both teams played and competed at a high level, And that led to a dramatic finish, uh, which is what March Madness is all about.
0: Well, I think the thing that's cool about it, too, is the fact that you're, you know, the matchup that we all thought would be great was the one that wasn't all that great. And the one that we had questions about, we thought could be ugly. We said, oh, it's two teams that are relatively inexperienced. They've never been here before. That was the best matchup. I mean, that was one of the best games of the entire tournament. And you may be saying, well, it's because of that finish. Yes, ultimately, I think that's a big part of it. But, I mean, I thought the back-and-forth nature of that game was just amazing. Two small programs going head-to-head, two inexperienced coaches matching up like that on that type of stage. I just, I mean, it was tremendous. I, I thought that matchup was phenomenal. And I thought the second matchup, you knew pretty early, just like with most of the games that UConn has played in this tournament, that that game was over because Miami could not finish inside. My God, I I mean, the missed layups in that game for Miami. You talk about what's going to haunt them. They got to the rim. That wasn't their issue. They just couldn't finish when they got there. And, look, a lot of credit needs to be given to Connecticut. I still don't think their defense is being talked about enough. But there were some shots, especially in that second half, that Miami had really, really good looks at and simply just missed the shots. But that's what Connecticut can do to you. They have so many different dudes that can get in your head. And I thought that was a coaching clinic by Dan Hurley. You know, I think Miami fought as hard as they could. But that just looked like a team that was at the end of their road. We've seen it before. We've seen teams that have reached the final four and that's just that's just kind of it for them. They've kind of reached their peak for the season, and especially against a buzzsaw like UConn, the way they were playing up until that point and then played again this weekend. That was that was just a really tough matchup. But that that first matchup, I mean, I could sit there and talk about that first matchup. For years to come, I, I I just thought I mean anybody that had any questions, we had we had hosts on this station that questioned that matchup and how excited you should have been for that matchup. I don't know about them. I know some people were still saying today that they weren't really all that enthused watching uh, over the weekend or even last night. I, I thought that game, it, it the first game the other night on Saturday was tremendous.
1: You know, and the thing about it was was that it was you, you, you know, I kind of felt early on we were going to get a great game. And I thought you were going to get a great a great finish because the energy was there. There you know, both teams were we're competing at a really high level. You know the fact that FAU was even in that type of position with John L. Davis only scoring eight points in the game. I think really speaks volumes to the type of uh,
0: the, to the type of team they really are. Elijah and Martin's just picked it up, man. Oh, he was he, he fantastic. Was, it, the last two games of the tournament for them, he was great. He, he was carrying them. You know,
1: and that's what this stage does is that it, you know it, it offers guys a chance to bring
0: out the best in themselves. And I was know, right about Matt Bradley, by by the way fantastic for about well early in the game he was fantastic and then down the stretch he was he he wasn't nearly as effective as you probably would have liked him to be but I early in the game i mean what what a start to the game too mm-hmm. right just the back and forth runs we're talking about extensive runs like it, it separately it was it was amazing just the back and forth of watching because at first you thought okay Florida Atlantic's coming out ready to punch here. Then you saw San Diego State take over, go on their 14-0 run. You're like, okay, well, San Diego State, this could be where they just turn it on and dominate here. Florida Atlantic, ah, this might be the end of their run. And then Florida Atlantic comes back with a 14-3 run. like It was just, just the back and forth early on to set the stage for then what happens in that second half. And for Florida Atlantic, I mean, it just – it's got to hurt you because you felt like you were in a really good spot early in that second half.
1: Yeah, no, I I definitely thought so as well. I was watching my game with with my family – um, and, and you know, like I was I was watching, um, in the Charlotte FC studios, poor, poor thing, you know, and it, I made it known that I was, I was pulling for FAU. Like I wanted a FAU UConn final. I thought that was, I thought that was the best matchup. And I said at the under 12 mark of the second half, cause the game had finally slowed and the game was being played at San Diego State's pace. I said if we play at this pace the rest of the way, I think San Diego State wins cuz they know just how to grind you grind you down and effectively they grind you out. And that's that's what I thought happened. You know, San or FAU finished 5 of 15 from the field, they turned the ball over six times and you know, San Diego State got just enough offense, which has been the theme of them all season long, and then all tournament long. When they when they defend at, when, at the level that they defend at, if they got to 70, 75 points, that was generally that was generally going to be enough. And I, you know. We're fans of a of a team in a program that doesn't value calling timeouts in certain situations. I fans fans get mad if timeouts are called or aren't called. You you know, like I, I thought both I thought both coaches did a really good job of letting their teams play through it because you you know there's only so much you can do in a timeout to calm them down or whatever. But you look at the sequence, which San Diego State won the game where they chose to to play it out and get the stop and then they rush down the court and you know settle and you know no timeout, no nothing in that situation. I thought that was I thought that was perfect. And I thought it was just a class example as to why that's the way you should play in that situation. You know, I, I know that a lot of a lot of in college basketball where teams are overcoached and stuff like that Coaches are going to call a timeout, so they're going to draw something up. But when you, when you race the ball back down the court and you put the pressure on the defense to get back in position to defend, a lot of times you can do a lot of different things. You can force a foul. You can get a good look. And look... Ultimately, he got a good look at the basket. I thought initially he had dribbled himself out of position to even get a shot off. He almost dribbled the ball out out of bounds. Yeah, he got close, man. And then you know when he when he when he realized that he had you know about three seconds to go and squared back up. Like in today's day and age, even though the mid range is an ineffective shot according to basketball analytic nerds, most most players playing in that stage are going.
0: Are going to make that shot? Yep. When he ro- when he rose for the shot, I knew he had made it. I knew the minute that he got to his spot, I said that's going in because I thought he had just, I thought he had created just enough separation. It was a, a, it was an outstanding shot from Lamont Butler. That, I mean, mm. ton of credit to him for making that shot. I agree with you. I thought the choice to not call the timeout because if you call the timeout, then. Florida Atlantic's able to set themselves up on defense. I think, especially with how crazy that game had been down the stretch, you were thinking to yourself, "Okay, just you know, with with the ball in our hands, let's just go make a play." And the scary thing for San Diego State was they weren't they they still did not shoot the ball well at the end of the game. The reason they were in the game and the reason that they event that they took the lead for a short period of time before Florida Atlantic took it back was because of their offensive rebounding and what they did at the free-throw line. And they still left a ton of points at the free-throw yeah, line. Yeah, 13-22. Like, the amount of missed free-throw – I haven't seen – That amount of missed free throws with offensive rebounds since Carolina back in 2017. Against Oregon. Against Oregon. It was almost the same thing. Although, I mean, it was over an extensive period of time. I mean, they just – their guys went to work on that glass, and that was the reason that San Diego State hung around. And that was stunning to me because Florida Atlantic had absolutely dominated teams. That they had played. I mean, they they destroyed Kansas State on the glass. They 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 were plus twenty. And I mean, look, Kansas State's a little bit of a smaller team. They had still rebounded the ball really well, well during I mean, the NCAA tournament. Just go look at what they did against Tennessee. Like They they physically
1: beat and banged with a volunteer team that beat Duke because they were just too physical for them. Like, that was what FAU had done in their tournament run. And then in, in this game, it it, di- it finally felt like their, their lack of size and their lack
0: of depth on the interior caught up to them. Yeah, and they just ran into a team that was that that had guys down there. This is this has been San Diego State the whole tournament. Their guys down low just scrap, man. That's that's what they did. And I you know, we'll talk about it even a little bit more here when we're talking about the championship game. For the most part, I thought that extended over into last night as well. Like I thought their their, their big guys inside defensively for the most part, they had a pretty solid night. So that was the thing that I don't think Florida Atlantic really took into account late in that game was that eventually that front court for San Diego State was going to respond. They stepped up right when they needed to and that was the difference in the game and it was it wasn't just the forwards. Matt Bradley had four offensive rebounds himself. Mm-hmm. So I mean everybody was getting involved and to me it just looked like Florida Atlantic I mean they just they, they ran out of steam. You saw a more veteran team. We talked about that when we were breaking this game down, that San Diego State, a team full of upperclassmen. Meanwhile – Talking about a team that was older than five NBA teams. Yeah, and then Florida Atlantic, a team that had four starters that were sophomores, like an extremely young team. Even a lot of the guys off the bench, incredibly young. I thought you saw that experience play out in this game down the stretch, and a ton of credit to those guys out there and a ton of credit to Brian Dutcher as well because there were plenty of points in this game where his, he, he could have allowed his team to just say, hey, we've made it this far, but he didn't. He he made the right calls down the stretch, and San Diego State advanced to their first title game. You know,
1: I, I thought about this a lot during Saturday's Final Four action. And then last night in the title game, because we saw Steve Fisher a lot in the crowd, and it just reminded me of how, like, I I love seeing coaches that were taught and mentored by a legendary coach, and Steve Fisher is one of those guys, like, that stuff really showing up on the biggest stage, because that's all I thought about, was like, had Brian Dutcher... Not came up under Steve Fisher and been a part of great teams at Michigan and been a part of great teams at San Diego State. Would would they be here? And and, and maybe that answer is still yes. But I like to think that maybe that answer that answer was no. And, and so I I really thought that you know he he really impressed me all tournament long. As a guy that entered with you know being skeptical and stuff like that about San Diego State in the conference they played in, getting all the respect they got from the tournament committee, he – I mean, like, of course, every coach that was in the Final Four is impressive. Dan Hurley, I mean, he may have just – he may have just planted the flag as as he's the next the next king of college basketball, um, you know, with all the greats that you've seen retire, Roy, Kay, Jay Wright, you know, Rick Pitino's at St. John's. You got Calipari at Kentucky. Um, Bill Self has a meet. He's addressing the media on Wednesday. There's a lot of speculation after his health scare that caused him to miss the tournament that that maybe Bill Self is going to retire. So I, you know, in a Final Four filled with legendary, we you know with, with with Hurley, you got Jim Larinaga. I thought Brian Dutcher was was really impressive, and you know, just you know all that all those years learning under Steve Fisher, I thought really just came to light as he guided his team to a victory in the Final Four. And eventually a berth in the national championship game. You look at the second game on on semifinal or or, uh, on on Final Four Saturday, the game that we were all excited for, right? Like, we all, like, that was the de facto national title game, right? Yes. Yes. Um, As ACC guys, I was happy to see an ACC team there, like... I didn't think that it, it validated the conference as much as some people wanted it to. LaFonzo Ellis joined my show and told me, no, it didn't. The ACC was still just a middle of the road conference. And the way that Miami got punked didn't really go, didn't really do a whole lot to, to kind of help
0: push back on that narrative. And look, a uh, lot of it, oh, but come on, man. Come on. So are we going to say the SEC isn't good because no, Arkansas I'm got sa-
1: their ass handed to them? I'm just saying that the way that – my because it's Miami, that didn't help. But it didn't matter. I, I don't know if anyone – dude, I don't care. Houston could have been there. Dude, Texas may have been there. I don't think it mattered. I mean, like when you watch Dan Hurley walk into their locker room after winning a Final Four game, right? Mm-hmm. And his team is on the doorstep of winning a national championship and he just comes in with his hands in his pockets literally said guys I'm not excited about this like this was a team that just I mean they team smelled on blood a I mean they they dude they smelled blood in the water and the one thing about Miami and we said it all all year long is dude they've got some scrappy dudes and they've got some guards that can make some really tough shots but you can you can overwhelm them with length because of how small they are, and that's what really that's what really stood out to me in this in this game was the fact that UConn's length, which had overwhelmed all four teams on their way to the final four, overwhelmed another one. And I know Miami kind of made a mini comeback in the second half. I think they got it to as little as eight. There was never a ch- there was never a moment in that second half I thought this game was going to get
0: close. No, no, and I mean, look, the thing is, is, I mean, as you talked about, Omir inside, I mean, he just had nothing for Sanogo, man. Dude, who did? You know, like, I mean, dude, Sanogo is just. A, I mean, that dude's a unit. And here's the thing: he's not. It's not that he is just like this super physical guy. It's not like he's this lanky guy that can stretch the floor. He's just I mean he's just he's got enough size but the technique that he uses I mean it's 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 just it's so difficult to stop him. He knows how to get to the right spots on the floor to score the ball. And Omir just I mean th- there was just nothing that he could do to try to stop him. He got into foul trouble. That yeah. certainly didn't help. I mean that 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 was the thing. Was this was just th- this was a matchup that if Miami was going to win this game, Omir had to find it. Not he didn't necessarily have to win this matchup, but he couldn't let Sonogo be dominant. That might have been Sonogo's best performance of the whole tournament. Like he he scored twenty one points, had ten rebounds, and sh- and was nine of eleven from the field in twenty six minutes. He
1: just to me to me I felt like he
0: just
1: he controlled the game.
0: On yep. both ends of the court. And then Jordan Hawkins doing what he did. Did you know going into last night, he had scored double-digit points. Did you just break the chair over there? I don't know what happened. What the? Okay, that's interesting. Be careful over there. We don't need another Mac moment here. Um, but going going into last night's game, he had scored 10 or more points in every single tournament game in the second half. That good? like the dude just when he needs to step up and make shots he does and in this game he didn't even necessarily need to because on the defensive end of the floor this was a clinic this is this is a film that if you are a coach that wants to show your guys what good defense looks like especially on modern on a modern offense this is the film that you put on because no none of the guards shot over 50% Wong four of ten. Jordan Miller four of ten. Nigel pack three of ten. I mean, this was a backcourt that was just dominant. Which, by the way. And they and the highest score was was Wong with 15. What did you make of the Nigel Pack shoe incident? Um, what aspect of this are you talking about? How pathetic it is that the Yukon uh UConn had to get their Equipment guy to run back to the locker room to get this dude a pair of shoes? I mean, that's bad. He missed significant... I mean, look at how long it took them to get the shoes back out to him for a replacement. Like, I just don't get... How did you not have a second pair of shoes with you? Nobody did. As far as I know, from what I understand, no one in Miami's locker room has a second pair of shoes. How... How is that possible? Dude, like,
1: especially coming off what happened last year at the Final Four where Amanda Baycott, and it wasn't a shoe problem, it was a foot problem. It was, it was dude, a floor. Let's issue. be
0: real honest here. Ever since Zion, you should have you, you should have a second pair of shoes. First of all, I'm pretty sure guys carry second pairs of shoes with them anyways. Dude, that's what I did. In I'm char- gonna be I honest. did it in Church League, bro. I'm going to be honest. If I'm getting my ass kicked, I want a second pair of shoes that could change the luck. We've heard guys that do that before. That was that was one of the oddest scenarios that I've ever seen. I'm gonna be honest. At first, because again, I didn't really have the sound on because I was kind of multitasking doing the Charlotte FC stuff and watching the game. I You're had right. no I had no idea what was actually happening. I, I was looking and I'm like I see. They're showing this equipment guy running back to the locker room, and I'm like, "Where is this guy going?" I
1: I, I kind of felt like it was just odd. It, I, to me, it just kind of it just kind of
0: signified. That summarized the game right there in a nutshell. It, like
1: it, it looked like a program that was at his first ever Final Four against a, a program that's been there before with a coach that's never been in that moment, but he's been around high level basketball his entire he sure time. Seemed like he had right. I, I mean, he I mean, he was just you know. Uh, as cool and calm and collected as he could be when he wasn't, you know, being Dan Hurley on the sidelines.
0: But, you know, I – The other thing that they did, by the way, remember what we talked about last weekend for Miami? Who was the guy that stepped up for them in that starting lineup? Played a big role, shot the ball very efficiently. Ruga Poplar. Poplar. Yeah. He was 0 of 7 from the field in this game. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you needed in in order to win this game. He was Miami, unpopular on Saturday night. Stop it. He you you needed guys to step up and make clutch shots and it never seemed like there was a moment in the game where they got that. Mm-hmm. And it, the thing that's sad, those clutch shots that they needed, they were in the first half. Like you needed guys to to make some shots early because UConn was starting to run away with it a little bit. And as we said, we've said it multiple times throughout this show, and even when we were previewing it. Hey man, if you let UConn get out to a lead early, it is hard to claw yourself back into the game. And what I what I said pretty much happened. Now they didn't get as close as I thought they would, but Miami let them get out to a lead. I thought their guards would eventually heat up enough to where they would be able to claw themselves back, but ultimately fall short. That wasn't what happened. You just they, they got they got too far behind. There was no solution for Sonogo, and they go home. Still a great year for Miami, but that that's I mean UConn just just a I mean dominant performances at pretty much every level. This was the one time where you thought they could be tested, and even in this game. You won by 13, but let's be honest, this was a much more dominant performance than that final scoreline, I would tell you.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree with that. And I, I think it just, it, you know, we, we entered the Final Four saying that UConn was above head and shoulders. Everyone else, they were the team to beat, and that didn't change after the action on Saturday. as San Diego State, they advanced to the final Monday night of the season, as did UConn. And coming up next, we'll take a look back at Monday's national championship game. We'll give our thoughts on the Huskies winning their fifth national championship if they're a blue blood, the state of college basketball, and so much more. All that's coming up next right here on the WFNZ March Madness Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment.
0: Consider Kisimta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
1: Hey, guys, and welcome back into to the WFNZ March Madness show. Fiddy and Flounder here. One final segment oh. to talk about what was a great 2023
0: NCAA tournament. I have a question. Are we going to have a one-shining moment of our best moments from this show?
1: I mean, if, if you want that, just go back and let's do every edition of the WFNZ March Madness show because I signed and averaged.
0: By the way, go back and listen to the first edition and... Just go ahead and grade <laughs> grade our breakdowns of those games for us back then. Tell us how we did cuz I, I I'm going to assume we did not do very well. I thought I was fantastic, <laughs> but that's that's just me and
1: that's just my opinion. How's your bracket by the way? Um it was busted, but I I I was the only guy at the
0: station to
1: pick a final four team correct.
0: So, you know, look. I don't know if that I got to be honest. Did I look
1: like the biggest idiot? When Purdue got beat in the first round and they're oh, yeah. my national champion and I'm the college basketball, you know, honk here. Absolutely. But The honk? I was down, but I was not out because when the dust finally settled, I had a team in the
0: final four. Yeah, you didn't have enough confidence to put that team. Any further? Right? That's a different conversation. <laughs> I, you know,
1: going—it's not about winning, though. It's not about picking the right champion. No, actually, it is. It's yeah, about picking actually, the most Final Four teams correctly. And last time I checked, yours truly.
0: Did yeah, that. I'm going to be honest, though. I would not, I would not tout this as some great achievement, considering the people that you went up against in this office. We have some complete morons, apparently. In this, in this office,
1: it's it's not very apparent. Listen to their takes from 6A to 6P. You Gosh. can tell how moronic they are. Okay, settle down over there, Willie P. Um. So, looking at the national championship, you know, UConn emerges 76 59. It was 36 24 at the break, but I don't even know if it was that close at halftime. And you got to remember, I mean, San Diego State came out and they grabbed a 10 6 lead. And I was kind of sitting there and we were watching the game while we were talking on the phone. Um I was kind of sit- yep. I was kind of sitting there, you know, saying, "Man, maybe maybe they they've they've come to play and they've got a lot more to offer here than what a lot of people expected. I thought they were going to play and I thought they were going to play hard. And I think when you look at it, I think that did happen. I thought they competed. Yeah, they're just, they were just overmatched, you, like everybody else. You just ran into a team that – I I don't know if destined is how UConn felt because there was never
0: a moment of destiny in their tournament run. You I, ran into a team that was incredibly motivated because they started the year 14-0. and People thought that this team was great. They thought they had no flaws. They go on a losing streak, and people pretty much bail on them. I mean, including – including me to a certain extent. I mean, the thing that was more damning to me was, remember, going into the Big East tournament, people were like, oh, you know, they've kind of gotten it back on track here. They're starting to feel more like that team we saw early in the year. And then they bow out to Marquette.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, the thing was... That was what was concerning to me. For me, during the Big East season, it was just... I thought the Big East was really, really good. I mean, you had... Yeah, I don't know. The bottom of that conference wasn't exactly great. You know, you you had you had Marquette, who was a really really good regular season team. Hey man, if they didn't have to play a tournament, Shaka Smart be in the Hall of Fame. You know, when 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 Creighton got healthy, we all knew like Creighton entered the year Final Four legit good. Like if they would have made the Final Four, no one would have been surprised. They made I would the, have picked like- them to probably play in the championship game against UConn. Yeah. Like so, you know, you had you had Marquette, Creighton, Sean Miller, what he did at Xavier where he just transformed that program as he transformed himself as a coach from, you know, when he was first at Xavier, then at Arizona, he was known for two things, cheating and defense. Now he's known for offense and then that team that team scored, that team scored in its sleep. Providence was a very up and down team, but when they were up They were a top twenty-five team in the country. Well, they started the year really,
0: really well, and then kind of dropped
1: off. So, like, yeah, like my thing with UConn was, I just thought it was a team that had a really hot two months. This was the best. This was the best team in the country in
0: November and December. I mean, they started fourteen and zero, and they had legit win. I mean, they they. They destroyed Alabama early. Yeah, in the year. I mean they were they were just mauling opponents. They get into
1: the Big East, and I think like it does in this day and age of college basketball. Like, here's the thing, folks. I mean, Villanova might have might might be the last team in 2018 that we saw just completely be a buzzsaw saw and just run through the run through the country. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, look, I know that Ugh. Gonzaga and Butler were really really good two years ago during the bubble tournament, but. We all you also have to take that with a grain of salt because you know you were playing in in, in in empty gyms and stuff like that.
0: Another question: When is Gonzaga ever not really that type of team outside of this year? Uh, like the West Coast Conference question. isn't exactly Murderer's Row. I mean it is it is it's it's gotten much better now, but like. Yeah, that's the thing. Where, I mean, this was legit. I, I just think my concern was, and we've seen it with a lot of teams, my concern with UConn was the same concern that I had with Purdue. I didn't think they would bow out as, as early as Purdue by any any means, but my concern with them was did they play their best basketball early in the year? And I think there will be a question that people will probably go back and look at in this tournament and say – if Bill Self's on the sideline for Kansas and they beat Arkansas, what happens in that Sweet 16 matchup? Is it the same result? Who knows? I I don't. I, mean, you can I don't always know. say what if. I don't think it. I, I, I gotta tell I, you, I don't think it mattered. I would I be shocked if that was a game they didn't win by double digits. No, because Bill Self is. I mean he he's he's one of the best coaches in today's game. So Danny Hurley, he he would have had a matchup on his hands, no doubt. But the way that that UConn team was playing, I don't I don't think it would have mattered. I still think they would have won. Yeah, so do I. So, and, you know, so when you look back at the
1: final, you know, very anticlimactic for the most part. When the game got sixty to fifty five, though, we all kind of perked up. We kind of sat there and said, okay. Um, UConn's offense was just out of flux, and and I think, and maybe this is just an excuse, I thought it was a team that saw the finish line, and they just like subconsciously they thought this isn't going to get away from us. But they got loosey goosey with the ball. San Diego State made them pay, and then when Hawkins came down and hit that three, which like that's an NBA level three. Like to come off that screen the way it
0: was still defended, that's a tough ass shot. Oh, that's one of the toughest. And with everything that was on the line, that's one of the toughest shots you're going to hit like hey. that. And and that that shows you right there. That, that shot was as important as it got because if he misses that shot – San Diego State gets the rebound, comes down, and scores. We're talking about a one possession game. Yep, with still five and a half, six minutes left to go. He hits that shot. They win the game by 17. Yeah. Like, it's just, that's amazing how big that shot was. He deserves a ton of credit, man. What a tournament for him.
1: You know, Sonogo, who of course got most outstanding player for the final four, another double double, 17 and 10, not as dominant from the field, five of nine but was 7 of 8 from the foul line, and again, he just controlled the game. Tristan Newton, you know, this was a guy that it wasn't it was it beautiful getting the ball up the court at times? God, no. Scored 19 points, was 5 of 11 from the field. Then you had, like I mentioned, Hawkins, 16 points, 5 of 9 from the field. Caravan with only 5 points and 5 rebounds, but they felt important. And then, you know, you didn't get major contributions – off the bench like you have for the for the majority of the tournament. I mean, you know, Joey California was six,
0: Aline <laughs> was six. But the thing is, those six, look at those two shots from Calcaterra. It just felt like Massive. every time they needed to make a play, whoever had
1: to step up and make the play, and like to me that's that was that's coaching.
0: That's the sign of a championship team. Well, when and you it, just have guys that can that that when in play is needed, Guys, step up and make the play.
1: And you know, it just felt like Danny Hurley knew how to put the right guys in the right situations at the right moments to make the plays you got to make in March to to win championships. And you know, look, I I, I, I still want to commend San Diego State because you, you know I don't know how how often a team that to me looked that much out of gas, like having to come back. In the Final Four against FAU, it takes a lot out of you. And then you turn around and you're playing. You know, for them, it was almost 48 hours later because of what time they tipped off on Saturday, as opposed to the national title game. But you're coming off that emotional high, and then you got to come off of it. Then you got to get yourself re up to play for a national championship. I, I I never once thought and didn't think that they weren't there mentally or physically. I thought they competed. I thought they were just overwhelmed by an opponent that was determined to, to win their fifth national championship to really bring us to the, the most potent conversation that's now emerged from the tournament. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment.
0: Consider Kisimta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
1: And this is something that even, even I, even I have literally m- in the middle. I mean, I went full Willie P. Oh. I, I, I started with
0: one opinion. Oh. You never, you never go full Willie, yeah, or or, or full <sighs> P. You know, like yeah, you know, I started. With... Oh, if you got a full P, you got a problem. I
1: started out on one end. And didn't invite the other because I, you know, and the conversation was, "Is UConn a blue blood?" Yeah. And at first, I was like, "No," you know. I thought they were, you know, for the most part.
0: This was in a segment.
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah, okay. This was in a this was in a segment where I was like, wow. you know what? No, I don't, I don't. think they're blue blood.
0: Embarrassing.
1: You know, you got you've got the four national championships, but Kevin Ollie was a disaster. He just got saved by Shabazz Napier, but. You know, and then, look, Jim Calhoun is one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. I mean, he literally built a program up that was playing inside of a mall. And, what, that, and that's what UConn was doing at a certain point. They were playing in a mall gymnasium. Woo! To you know, competing in the Big East, winning national championships and stuff like that. Dude, I
0: mean, come on, man! You get to go watch a game and get an Auntie Anne's pretzel.
1: Who doesn't like that? I mean, look, if if Carolina wants to start offering those, I'm, I'd be much a lot more suspect to go watch our, our our version of basketball.
0: Yeah, you can keep the you you can keep the. Uh, the mall popcorn though mall popcorn is
1: very very awful. overrated awful oh. um but you know you look at it now now you've got 5 all mm-hmm. since 99 you could you could say that they've been you know and i know they've missed some tournaments maybe four well, they missed like i think it's like nine you know maybe a, a few too many for you to be a, a blue blood but i mean 5 titles since 99 is a lot you 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 come from a an area of the country that loves basketball. Um, stores, you know, is is a it's a small town. It's kind of like a northeast Chapel Hill, where it's just a little town. And like if, if if the university didn't exist there, that town wouldn't exist. And you know, you you've got a dominant women's women's program as well and you've done it with three different coaches and to me I think that's really what separates you from like that's what elevates them because that's the
0: big argument
1: you yep. know North Carolina's done it with three Kansas has done it with three Kentucky and Kentucky's done it with three and to me that stuff matters like I I, I will sit here and say I think Carolina is the the standard program in the country—it's either them or Kansas because there's just a lineage
0: of basketball rich tradition, and, and and same thing with Kentucky. Yeah, there's not there's not the lulls like even Kentucky has stretches where they will go a full decade without winning titles. Mm-hmm. That I mean, with Kansas, Carolina, that just—I mean, it doesn't happen like. So you know you, you you've you've you've
1: you've got that aspect of it you know I and, I and I even said this today on air I do think them being in the Big East changes it like when they were in the American no UConn wasn't a blue blood when you're playing like South Florida um I, I no you're not
0: you're not a blue blood because South, I mean but to be fair here's South Florida the thing. should have to pay you to walk on the court with them I have a question though wasn't South Florida in the old Big East that's a different that's a different conversation okay man. okay sure. All I'm gonna say is, look. When it comes to that argument, which we don't even have to have that argument now, if that was the argument, that's that's not on that's not on the basketball program. That's on the overall athletic department for wanting to be part of that conference.
1: Yeah, but like, I, I, I I think it was Matt Norlander and I, uh, one of one of the the great college basketball writers did write that. A, a, a part of returning UConn to what it is, which is a now a blue blood in college basketball, a national brand, mm-hmm. was them choosing to leave the American. Oh, I'm not and, arguing and, and, that. And, and, no, no, no. And then That's, go back to the Big East. So that like... was a
0: great move for them because you look at what that conference has become. I mean, hell, we've already said that we think, and it, at this point it might even be of detriment to the ACC, but... We've already said that having those teams that came that that came from the Big East in 2014 to the ACC, you would like to see them go back on the basketball side of things at least to create those rivalry. That that conference was tremendous, and the fact that it's it's even somewhat mirroring what it was. Especially now, like you got Rick Patino coming to to St. John's, like that's that's going to be a legit conference. Like that Mata, I think will eventually get Butler back to being competitive. That's that's a hell of a conference. That's got some historic programs in there. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's a, that that's part of it. The biggest thing to me is the three coaches thing. Mm-hmm. That to me should put you right in that conversation. You've dominated. I mean, you're talking about now you have won a title in three straight decades. Yeah. You're starting to get to that point where you can have those conversations. And I think that's the, the biggest question that I think a lot of people have is can you add to the Blue Bloods or is that a group that's just cemented? And then there's a group called the New Bloods, which would be UConn. Villanova. Remember when we were having that conversation about adding them to the mix? Well,
1: now now they're on a different plan. Now
0: they're on a black on a on a back burner. Excuse me. And nobody's. I mean, nobody's talking about that. Like nobody cares about that conversation. I don't care. Um. So, like, I I don't know. To me, I think that blue bloods is sort of a fluid thing. A team like this can add themselves to that conversation because at this point when you think about college basketball and you think about the standard of college basketball it feels like they are starting to enter that sort of realm where each year if and I mean look they've they've had years that they have missed the tournament Their fan base is incredibly frustrated when they miss the tournament. The thing that's different about their fan base more than any other fan base in this group is look at their connection to their women's program. Mm -hmm. None of the other Blue Blood programs are connected to their women's program like that. Their men's program is the program that people live and die by. Doesn't mean that doesn't mean that people don't root for those programs. We know a lot of Tar Heel fans that that pull for the women's program. Indiana was really good this past year in women's basketball. A lot of people showed out during their regionals. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what's that's what's different about them, where you don't see as much vitriol when that team doesn't have the success cuz they say okay we'll just move over and focus on the women's team. Meanwhile, I do think there is there are people that get frustrated when their men's team isn't having success. I think this is the guy Danny Hurley if he stays here long term, which at this point I don't like somebody else brought up a great point when it comes to this and 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 the top programs in college basketball, the blue bloods, those are jobs that you typically do not leave for another job. Very, very rare that that happens. Almost unheard of. I think, I mean, I would be absolutely stunned if Danny Hurley, on his own accord, left for another job.
1: You know, and and here's so, yeah. He's a Seton Hall guy. I don't think he's leaving UConn for Seton Hall. Like, once he got to Rhode Island, and you looked at Rhode Island basketball and you watched Kevin Ollie. just, I mean, literally we see his program fall apart,
0: after he won a national championship, by the way, can we people want to want to use that as a negative? Isn't shouldn't there be more credit to the program, the way that it's built, that they could somehow get that moron to lead them to a title? <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean, let's be honest.
1: I mean, I, a, I mean again, he, I think it comes back to you had a great <laughs> a great guard get hot for a month, and he he guided you on a, on another unbelievable run. I, I you know when you look at Hurley at Rhode Island. You know, you could just see where he was. He knew what was happening at UConn. That's where he wanted to be all along. And no, I don't think, I don't think you willingly leave UConn for another job. Even though Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky are better jobs and what they have to offer from a financial standpoint and all that type of stuff, you're still, you're still to me, you're not willingly leaving for those programs. So I think with UConn being a blue blood. I'm not removing anybody. Like, no. I know, I know, I know people want to, and like, I know. You- UCLA hasn't won one since '96. I know Indiana yeah, hasn't. I'm going to be- tell
0: you, UCLA isn't far off from winning one.
1: You know, Let, um, let's just put out out there right now. Indiana hasn't been to the Final Four since 2002. It doesn't. It, look look at the history, folks. Like like when when you when you go through Indiana and you ride by every farmhouse, when there's a lot of them, there's going to be a basketball hoop attached to them, like basketball. As much as basketball is a way of life here in the Carolinas or in the state North Carolina, it's just as much of a way of life in Indiana as well. And Mick Cronin is restoring pride back to that UCLA program that kind of left after Ben Howland just couldn't get over the hump after three straight Final Fours. You brought in Steve Alford, who did some nice things but could just never get over the hump either. You now got a team and a program that plays hard, that the fan base can identify with and stuff like that. So I don't think you got to take anyone away. Let's just add them. Let's just bring them to the table. And for right now, the well, conversation's but again, closed.
0: Here's the thing how many other teams have at this point any concrete argument to really be in that conversation there really isn't one you know i would uh villanova's probably the the closest if another coach wins a title there cuz then that would be 3 then you're entering this similar type of discussion although even with them like before they won championships you you still like UConn was was starting to build up to that. They would consistently make runs in the tournament. Villanova's, I, I, they, I mean, they're they're even more hit and miss at times than than UConn's been. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's the thing for me. Like, I think they're probably the closest, but I still think there's a pretty good distance between that and. I mean, I, yeah, I I don't know. Like the Indiana thing is like, look, guys, they've made eight Final Fours. Like this, this is this is a a tradition rich school, as you've mentioned. I mean, look, it, it's, I mean, it's certainly not not great. Like you would love for them to have more recent success, but I mean, you're still talking about this team being. Inside of the top ten all time in Final Fours, and I mean the list. The I mean you the, the other ones that are on the list ahead of them, Michigan State and Ohio State. You putting neither one of those teams in the blue blood category.
1: Um, no, I'm not. You no. know, like and like I think like with college basketball, like the way it works is you've got your blue bloods, so your Carolina, Kansas, is Kentucky's, Dukes, whatever, and then it's not even really the new bloods. It is the very it's still there's still elite programs and the elite programs i would identify below the blue bloods i would go villanova I I would go I would go Louisville even though they won four games this past year. Yeah, Forget year.
0: about this year and just
1: look at the rest of their history. Um, that's where I would bring in the Ohio States, the Michigans. I would bring in Arkansas because that is a that's one of the rare SEC programs that
0: values its football program. And just, I mean they haven't been to a Final Four since '95. Exactly.
1: So. so you know then you've got well you know what we do with the ACC the new bloods like the Virginias the you know the the Florida States the Miamis and stuff like. That, but I'm comfortable calling UConn a blue blood. What I'm not comfortable doing, and this is what we'll talk on before we get out of here. I, and maybe, maybe this is just because I'm blinded by my love, my passion, my admiration for college basketball. Like, I, I say this all the time this is the sport that brought me here, this is why I do the job that I do. It I mean look, I love the NFL. Um, I, I, I love Major League Baseball. I tolerate the NBA. I'm I, I I enjoy college football, but this is my sport. And so maybe because I feel like I need to defend it, I don't think what we saw this year is bad for college basketball. I really don't. Because I like the parody. And look, I love seeing the blue bloods play on the biggest stage as much as anybody. But I also like seeing these other teams play and have a chance to win a championship because it doesn't happen in other sports. NIL. This is the beauty of the NIL. Is that it is going to even out the talent base. The transfer portal is going to give the little guys a, a better chance because you will see power five guys go to mid majors and stuff like that. Something that's something that's being forgotten about in, in this entire conversation is the COVID year, which like at the premise when the NCAA put that in. You could say man that was that was a great that was a great thing the NCAA has done. Give them a hand clap because they finally got something right. And I'm not saying to take it away, but what it's done is it has just transformed these rosters to where you've got a team like San Diego State that's older than 5 NBA teams. So yes, they're going to beat some teams that you know maybe aren't as talented as or have more talent than they do, but they're not as experienced, their bodies aren't as developed and stuff like that. And I just don't get why of all the all the people in the world yep. to talk about the state of our game, we bring Jay Williams and put him on a platform. A guy that you literally took off of your platform because he was an idiot and didn't know what he was talking about. And that's the guy you want to shove in my face and say, our sport needs to change and this isn't good for the sport. If it was if it was anybody else,
0: I don't think I would have complained. Yeah, I mean, you're not good enough for game day, but you're apparently good enough to talk about what needs to change in the game. Um, no, your your point is 100% correct. And, and look, in the long run, could he be right? It's possible. But as of right now... Over 17 no. million people watched a championship game last night. Well you, oh uh, yeah well no 14, 14 14 you told me 17 Four, earlier I said 14.7 get your stats actually how about this we're a hearing aid once in a while my my thing is is like okay if you go 10 years into the future and you have you know the the marquee programs struggling as bad as they have the, the, as they did this year and let's let's say within the next 10 final fours you have two appearances from carolina two appearances from duke one from kansas none from kentucky none from indiana okay then then you could say hey our traditional powers and you're putting in all these like if you start seeing what we used to see when we would do, we would play the college basketball video game where a 14 seed would make the tournament final routinely, okay, then you can start saying, whoa, this is a little crazy. Maybe it's the free transfer rule, everything like that. I think what you said is what is really driving a, a lot of what we saw this year. It's the it's the seniority that are on these teams because of the COVID year, and I and and I'm with you. To me, look, that was something we have never seen before. We have never seen sports completely shut down like that in at least in our lifetime, which isn't really that long. But a lot of other people that are veteran fans of of the sport said, "I've never seen anything like this." So it was unprecedented. Giving them the extra year, no issue with that, but it leads to these sort of circumstances. And here's the other thing, and I've heard multiple people say this, but I can't, I cannot drive this point home enough. Go back to last year's Final Four and sit down and look at the four teams that were there. Yeah. Those are four teams that are powerhouses in your sport. Villanova was a team. If they would have won a championship last year, we would have been having the same conversation about them that we just had about UConn. And the other three teams were Kansas, Carolina, and Duke. You could argue three of the best four basketball programs that exist in the sport. So, I mean, I just... Frankly, it's time to just chill the hell out. And... A little bit of parity is not the worst thing because I'm going to tell you right now, if you have anything remotely similar to this happen in college football, we will be absolutely rejoicing. We will say, finally, there is a little bit of parity. But in college basketball, one year of parity and everybody wants to panic completely and say, oh my God, there must be something wrong with college basketball. no. Oh, my God, there might be something wrong with the committee who's a bunch of morons and can't see the tournament right. They rely too much on the net statistic, which is, again, you're seeing now complete garbage. Like, throw that crap out the window. Use the eye test and really figure out what this tournament field should look like, because there were a lot of decisions this year that, as we saw as the tournament advanced on, were not even close to being right. Every one of these teams that was in the that that was in the final four, you could have made an argument was probably underseeded. The one that I think you probably couldn't make an argument for, because of their regular season record, was San Diego State. That was probably about where they should have been seated. The other three. No, they had cases to be much higher seeds. They weren't, and that's where you should be panicking, that you have morons that don't know anything about this sport that are putting together this bracket. They're relying way too heavily on analytics and on what these experts that are saying on television are telling them they think they should do. That's the thing that you should be concerned about.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I I just... As, as a guy that, that loves the sport, you know, I, I, I look at it and say we have a perfectly imperfect system. We have a regular season that, you know, gets devalued because of how important and how crazy the tournament is. But I tell people all the time that the craziness you see in March happens every night in college basketball. And, and I'm not sitting here saying that I'm watching, you know, these mid-majors throughout the year because I'm not. I, I I watch the ACC and I watch the Big 12, the Big 10, the Big East, whatever. But that type of parody just, you know, it, it doesn't just happen on its own. It's not forced. It, it, it's just that's the way the sport – the sport is designed for this. You want to see your powers come to the top. You've got the best postseason in sports. You've got a better product than the NBA. You know, I, I I just I just don't get why it's it's popular for people to complain about a sport that they love, that they cover, whatever it is. Let's try to fix it. College basketball doesn't need fixing. What college basketball needs is the money makers behind the sport to put it on a platform to grow the sport and and to grow the players and make the players more marketable and stuff like that. Because if you do that, I guarantee you the, the, the sport will return to the forefront of sports watching in this country outside of just three weeks in March when, of course, everybody does gravitate towards the NCAA tournament. And so with that, man— this puts a bow on our coverage from the 2023 NCAA tournament. We've had a lot of fun all tournament long, just sitting here talking about these games, talking about these upsets, all the storylines that have emerged from this year's edition of March Madness. It was a great tournament filled with great upsets, great moments, great conversation, and so much more. And we want to thank you guys that that, that tuned in and listened to every episode um, because you made it a lot a lot of fun for us um, and hopefully we'll be back this time again next year talking about another final four another
0: national championship yeah really appreciate everybody that uh, was listening in I know you know our, the college basketball talk especially this year you know without one of the you know our teams in the local area really advancing that far you know it's it's different when you don't have those types of teams to talk about on air, and then you have the Panthers trading for the number one overall pick. So for those college basketball junkies, we just hope that we were able to give you a little bit of insight into the tournament. Hopefully, hopefully you like listening to us. You know, go back and forth on some of these games and everything like that. And ultimately, you know, in the end, I think it was the team that once we got through that first weekend i think a lot of us thought could be the ones cutting down the nets it, we talked about it we talked about them being the most impressive team after that first weekend and it felt like they were destined for something special and uh, that's what ended up happening and i think it was you know a pretty pretty good finish to the college basketball season with all the parody. There are a lot of people that are questioning it, but I think it made for an extremely interesting tournament. So many unexpected turns, and uh, we're glad that we we were able to hear – we were able to be here to break it all down for you guys.
1: Well, that is going to conclude our coverage from the 2023 NCAA uh, tournament. Of course, you can catch us on the respective shows you can produce, and we do encourage you guys to listen to sports radio. 92.7, 92.7, whether it's on the FM dial, on the Odyssey, or WFNZ apps. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. We'll be talking Panthers, we'll be talking Hornets, the NFL draft, and so much more. And for that, we say so long, and we'll talk to you next college basketball season. One